You're listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. Hi parents, it's Robin McMahon here. Just before you dive into this episode, I want to invite you to join my new membership site for free. My site, which is at www.parent-toolbox.com, is the companion to my award-winning podcast where you will find game-changing tools and resources from me and from my expert guests who are among the top leaders in the parenting world. Join for free today at www.parent-toolbox.com. Now back to the show. Hello, everybody. It's Robin here. Welcome back to Parenting Our Future. I'm really happy to have you here. And, you know, relationships are so important in our lives. We want to have good, close relationships with our spouses, our partners, with our kids, with our extended family and friends. And sometimes we don't know how to do that. Well, luckily, I have somebody really, really knowledgeable and has so much to share in this realm. So I really want to welcome Jason Gaddis here. He is a relationship expert. And let me just tell you a little bit about him. He is an author, relationship expert, coach, and he teaches people the one class they didn't get in school, which is how to do relationships. I couldn't agree more. Um, Jason also leads one of the most in-depth and comprehensive relationship educational programs and change and trains relationship coaches all over the world. He also has thousands of fans and followers across multiple channels and hosts the Relationship School podcast with over 5 million downloads and over 330 episodes. And he has his first book called Getting to Zero that as of October 2021 is out and available for you to consume. So Jason, thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to dive into this with you. Yeah, Robin, I'm psyched to be here. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Okay, so your book is called Getting to Zero. First, I want to talk about that. What is that? Because that doesn't sound like somewhere you want to get with your relationship, but I love what it really means. <laughs> right. so tell me about that. Yeah, zero love. No. Um, <laughs> zero in my book is just a number, and I have a scale, zero to 10. When we are triggered or activated by another human, we move away from zero being the good, happy, connected place up the mm-hmm. scale to less and less connection and more and more conflict and more and more disconnection. Mm-hmm. So when people are at odds or in an argument or there's silence and, and things just don't feel good in a family or in a partnership, uh, we wanna get back to our good place and that good place I call zero. Oh, love that. And you know, I love the sort of the saying, right? When connection is high, resistance is low. When connection is low, resistance is high, right? So <laughs> yeah, like and that. it feels good being at zero, doesn't it? Like oh, it's the baseline. Like that's where I want to live my life, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's not just with your romantic partner. That's with everybody. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, I, I particularly zero in on high stakes relationships because mm-hmm. those uh, because there's so much at stake. If conflict doesn't go well, then it could be really bad, right? In a family or a business partnership or a, an intimate partnership. So I'm mostly focused in the book on our high stakes relationships. Okay. Where do we often make the most mistakes in a relationship? Well, um, we make the most mistakes. The biggest mistake I think we make is we purchase fantasies about relationships and we don't educate ourselves about how human beings work in relationship. 
So that means the fantasy being when you meet the one or find the right person, everything is supposed to just be hunky-dory and work out and feel good. And that couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, the truth is relationships are hard. High stakes relationships are hard. Um, we we um, partner and it gets complicated. And over years, it tends to get harder unless you are paying attention and you're growing and learning and developing yourself. Then it's kind of fun and interesting actually. And it's very exhilarating. But if I marry you and I expect you to stay the same as when I fell in love with you, um, I'm going to be up shit creek because I'm going to keep wanting you to be who you're not, which is like your true self is actually coming out now years later. And we want that. You know, I, I want to know who you actually are. And that happens over time. So to, to kind of make space for growth and evolution and change is what I, I hear you say. Is that is that right? Yeah, because um, people fall in love and they naively think this is how it's going to be. That's not love. That's the infatuation stage. Um, mm -hmm. Love is what you do after the infatuation stage. And it's mm -hmm. love is difficult. Love is a practice. Love is a daily thing you show up for. Um, because as your baggage comes spilling out over time, and I see that, and I notice that, and I sniff that out, I might not love you there. It might be hard for me to accept you, your neurosis mm -hmm. and your challenges and how insecure you are, how annoying you get sometimes, or how messy you are. And, mm. you know, that gets very upsetting to the other person, right? Um, but that's the practice is like, okay, you're like me, a messy human being. And how can I learn to love you here too, without trying to always change you? You know, it's so interesting because my husband and I have been together for a really long time. Uh, I, he What's was, long? Uh, well, he was my first boyfriend when I turned 16. Oh, and, uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, and then we, we were together for a bit. And then um, we came back together and then stayed together. So it's sort of an up and down story. But anyway, we've been yeah. together. Um, it's our 18th anniversary, but we've been together 21. Wow. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Yeah, and he's nice. by by far my favorite person in this entire world. Like I that's love amazing. Him so much. Oh yes. yeah, congratulations. Thank you, but and <laughs> not but <laughs> and yeah. I've noticed over the course of the pandemic that um, I've noticed things about him that I never knew. Yeah. I see anxiety in him that I never knew was a thing yeah. for right. him. That's uh, cool. Yeah, it's really interesting, and and there are some quirks that have come up too that I, I can't say that I love, but I also I've, I've, I have to put myself into a more curious place than like mm -hmm. a judgmental place is what I have yeah. to, right? Great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, it's lovely uh, for the most part that he now works from home. He doesn't go to the office anymore. He works from home, which I mm -hmm. really love. It's kind of great to have someone to sort of, you know, yeah. in the middle of the day, he's there for me, you yeah. know? Right. Right. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's been very interesting. And so I wonder if you have seen problems in relationships come up because of the pandemic. I mean, I'm sure you uh, have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like COVID has, has pushed the issues to the surface, fear, anxiety, depression, you know, addictions, whatever it is, because we're all dealing with another layer of stress now, like as if we need more stress in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so we have another layer and it, it's a lot, you know, and it, and so for couples living together and not being as social as we once were the pressure cooker, it's like a pressure cooker. And so it's pushing issues to the surface. And I, I see couples either getting stronger or they're breaking apart. I have friends getting divorces right now and it's, it's intense. Oh, 
Yeah, it's really intense. Uh, and, and just, you know, the anxiety and fear that's out there, right. Yeah. And then oh, there's yeah. just so much going on right now. Totally. It's, it's, it's hard to, uh, it's hard to make sense of it. Yeah. So, so t- tell me a little bit about inner conflict and outer conflict. I, I find that really interesting that you, how you talk about this. T- tell me what the difference is. Yeah. Um, I'll try to do a high level version of that. And then if we want to go a little deeper, we can, um, whenever I, if you and I are in a relationship and I, have something to say to you, but I'm scared of conflict and I don't say it. Mm -hmm. I'm creating an inner conflict in me. So if I avoid conflict with you out here, an outer conflict, I just created an inner conflict in me because now where am I going to take it? Right. I have nowhere to go, right? I could go to a friend or a therapist to vent, but ultimately the conflict stays in here because the conflict's with you. It's, It's something I'm not addressing here. So now I've just added more to my plate. Uh, so this is what conflict avoiders don't realize is every time you avoid an outer conflict, you're creating an inner one. Mm. And then the one more layer, if I might add is growing up, this was the childhood experience for most of us. We mm. grew up in a family where we, at least on some level, we didn't feel like parts of us were accepted or loved just as we are. Mm-hmm. And so kids, young children don't know where to go with that truth of who they are, their sensitivity or their quirkiness or their, or maybe they're gay or, you know, whatever's going on. And if their parents disapprove, then the kid has to stuff that inside. Right. And then the kid develops strategies to compensate and cope. And the strategies have one job, which is to keep connection and avoid rejection uh, and hurt and abuse or terror or trauma or whatever. So we create that split and now we've got a big conflict inside of ourselves between our true self, how, who we really are and our strategic self, which is who our family prefers us to be. And if that conflict goes on for decades, like it did in my life, that gap between the two is what I call depression and anxiety. It just feels bad. You feel like something is off in your life. You don't quite know what it is, but the beauty here is high stakes relationships have this incredible opportunity for us to close that gap between our true self and our strategic self, because in a high stakes relationship, you're sort of forced to bring out the truth, you know, because uh, the other person hopefully wants it and you're living with them day in and day out, or you're in a business, high stakes business relationship with them day in and day out or a family, you know, it's mm-hmm. going to come out and you want that. So you can be yourself. <laughs> yeah. 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 That you just kind of blew my mind for a second. I have never articulated it that way or thought of it that way, but you keep connection to avoid rejection. It's exactly yeah. what it is. Yeah. Because in some way, shape or form, we've gotten the message that we're not good enough or our, our ideas yeah. aren't important or, you know, yeah. we're not the way we, we should be in our parents' eyes, which is really, it's there. It's, it's really our parents' issue. It's not really about us. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, it might, it might be, Um, but it's there, it's basically them trying to get us young children to conform to their values, their way of being. Right. Right. And so they sure think it's about us and children are very spongy and they will make it about themselves. Right. Right. Even though it might not be just because that's what we do as, as humans, it seems like. 
Yeah. You know, when I was little, uh, and I've talked about this before on the podcast, my, my dad told me I was selfish. I'm pretty sure I remember the time that he decided that I was selfish Uh and I was a kid, right? I wasn't selfish. Mm -hmm. I just wanted more lemonade. Like this is literally what happened. Right. And I lied about it, that I didn't drink it and (laughs) whatever. Anyway. Oh my gosh. You're so selfish, Robin. And, uh, and, but, but he then saw me through that lens always. I yeah. was always selfish. I was many other things, but I was selfish. Yeah. Right. My, my mom used to work in cosmetics and fragrances and I love all that stuff. And so she'd bring bags of it home and I'd want to see, you know, what I could get. And yeah. you know, say like, don't take that away from mom. You know, you're so selfish. Right. And I, wow. and, and what happened to me is that I, because I, it wasn't who I, who it's not who I am. I'm yeah. not selfish, but I would hustle to make sure nobody knew I was selfish. Yeah. So I then, you know, these disempowering um, beliefs that I had, I would overcompensate by being over generous, right. Totally. Giving people more things so that they, nobody yeah. knew I was selfish. Wow. Right. Exactly. And, that you're, you're speaking it. That's exactly what kids do. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And And it wasn't, and it's, you know, what's so funny too, is that I had that realization a little while ago and I told my sister and she was like, oh yeah, I always thought you were selfish too. Right. Like it infected her. (laughs) Yeah, The whole whole system buys into the family narrative, right? And you get pegged in a role. Robin's the selfish one. Yep. Always thinking about herself. It's like, ah, no, I'm not. Yeah. And then you (laughs) spend all this time and energy trying to compensate to make sure people don't know you're selfish, you know, no, you're not. No, I'm not selfish. Like, trust me. Yeah. But again, that's just a strategy, right? Exactly. To avoid rejection. 100%. Yeah. And that's what, that's what sort of blew my mind is that's exactly what, what I was doing. And I've never been able to articulate it that way. So thank you for that. That's great. Sure. That's so cool. Yeah. 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 So Let's talk about what, so, you know, I I sort of said, where do we make mistakes? Right. But you've got, you've got roadblocks to reconnection. So let's say you you are in conflict with your, with your partner, your business partner, life partner, whatever, what makes it hard to get over that and reconnect? Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me develop that a little bit. So before I answer that, they've got to develop this one piece here. So I see conflict as an inevitable part of life that's going to happen for the rest of your life. So if we can just get on board with it's normal, it's okay, there's nothing wrong here. Um, I think people can at least start being a little more warm toward conflict. Right. Okay. And going, okay, this is just part of life. I don't have to make my partner wrong because we're in conflict or make myself wrong. Uh, And there's this thing I, I talk about in the book called the conflict repair cycle. Um, and it's just a cycle that's going to repeat the rest of your life um, where we have conflict, we disconnect when we have conflict, and then um, we want to get back to a good place, which is zero. And so we've got to actually effort, put in effort to reconnect. I call it re- reconnect and repair. And that cycle, disconnection, reconnection, connection, disconnection, reconnection, connection, that's the conflict repair cycle. So there's things we can do to reconnect. And then there's things we shouldn't do because it won't work. And those are the roadblocks. Okay. Okay. So the roadblocks are things like um, trying to change the other person, um, hoping and praying that it'll just get better without any effort. Um, <laughs> making, you know, having days and weeks and months and years go by uh, thinking that time will just make it go away. Mm. Um, compartmentalizing like my parents did, which is just to put it on the shelf. Don't talk about it. Stop making a big deal out of it. Um, and if you don't talk about it, it's 
better because then if you talk about it, things get worse. So compartmentalize, right? Yeah. And then blame, of course. So I have many others, but those are some of the roadblocks that we tend to do as people because we, we don't want to deal, right? We don't want to, not only do we want, not want to deal with the discomfort of like de- trying to work through it, but we really don't know how. I mean, yeah. like I said, there's no class. Um, where are you supposed to learn this stuff? And we learn it from just the downloads we get from movies and the big people in our family. And it, it's usually not good enough to get us through the other side. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you're having a disagreement. Um, and, and let's, if if it's okay with you, I'll frame it as uh, a parent, as two parents having a disagreement over their parenting, because that's my jam. Yeah, that's common. Um, So, so I've seen many extremes, right? And I've seen uh, parents who, um, you know, one parent is really tuned into this, the work that I do, creating more connection with your kids and relationship with your kids. And, you know, uh, breaking the the cycle of punishment and, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, disrespect, all of that stuff that we have really been done to us as kids and breaking that cycle with our own kids now and so much more. Um, yeah. And then you have a parent that says, nope, I turned out fine. Uh, this stuff is too soft. How are we ever going to make our kids into good people? Um, so no, I think that yelling them, taking away the phone every time they displease me and, um, you know, grounding them is the way to make them good people, right? Essentially that's what they're saying. So we're we're both saying we want to have good people, but we're completely on opposite sides. How do you first address that and how do you work through it? Yeah. Well, usually that type of situation ends in a divorce where those two people get to do what they want in their own homes. But that's very hard to work out. So I just want to say that up front. Okay. This is very difficult. Okay. Um, and this is what I call a value difference fight. And the mm-hmm. value difference fight is we have different values about how to parent and get the result we claim we want with our kids in terms of raising optimal little beings, right? Mm-hmm. And we have two completely um, different styles here. And I, I think that comes from our values, which are essentially the core um, behaviors and actions that we really, um, adhere to. They could be beliefs. They could be just things that we do all day long. Like couples get in fights about money all the time because it's a value difference, how they value money. One Mm -hmm. is really organized and one is really disorganized and has a bunch of debt, right? That's a value difference. They have different value on money and financial organization. So it's very similar when, when two parents are at odds, trying to parent their kids coming from two different approaches. And I think the first thing is they have to just acknowledge, wow, we have a huge gap here. Like, can we just be honest that we are completely different here? And -hmm. can that just be okay? Can it be okay that we are very different? Mm -hmm. Um, That like, wow, you have a certain set of beliefs and approaches to parenting. And I have ones that are very different from you. Can that be okay? okay? We are two totally different people. Uh, we probably should have figured this out when we were dating, but here we are, you know, cause this is the thing, like, there's no blame here. It's like people need to take responsibility that they chose this person, right. And not be a victim to it. You chose to marry and have kids with and partner with this person, whoever they are, whatever their values are, mm-hmm. that's on you. It's on nobody, but you, and that's not to blame yourself. That's just, yep. I own that. Right. To acknowledge it. Yeah. It's acknowledging. Hey, yep. This is the choice I made. But if we can get on the same page that, yeah, we're on the same page, we have a shared reality that we're very different. 
that's a huge first step. Then it's like, let's look at that difference as a team. Let's stand actually shoulder to shoulder and look at the problem, which is you want to do it this way. I want to do it that way. You want to go left. I want to go right. Mm. What are we going to do about that? Can we actually continue to be live together and be a family if you want to do it that way and I want to do it this way? Or is it actually best that we split up and then you know, 50-50 custody with the kids and do it in our own homes. And like, are we that wedded to our approach? Mm. Do we really think, though, this is the way to do it? Because if there's gridlock there, it's like, we're not going to, that's a conflict that can't be really worked out. The way to work that out is to respectfully say, you go your way, I'll go mine. And mm. when they're in your house, you get to do what you want. And here's my preferences and here's your preferences. And, you know. Mm. Well, and I really like that. Just lay it out on the table. Okay, look, we're on completely opposite sides of yeah. the, the issue here. Okay, so can we just agree on that? <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, let's just start there, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I have, a, I, have a, I have some clients that, um, you know, it's the mom that really does everything in the house. He doesn't do much at all, mm-hmm. uh, except for sort of yell, punish, and, you know, and put the kids down. Uh, And then they all come to mom and say, well, mom, mom, dad's being so mean, you know, how do you make sense of that as a parent when, you know, one is so on that side, one is so opposite to you, but the kids are coming to you saying, why is dad like that? How do you not throw him under the bus, but honor, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not easy, right? Yeah. And so in the book, I talk about the victim triangle, right? And so the kid's the victim in this case saying, mom, dad's being mean to me and dad's the villain. And mom's the rescuer, right? That's a triangle. Yes. In systems definitely. theory, right? Family systems, this is what they teach. Right, right. Um, and that's okay, but it's very limited to stay stuck there where kids are always kind of coming to mom, venting, and dad's the bad guy. Mm. Um, so mom has a couple of options there because she's the motivated one working on herself. She could be like, I don't want to be in this triangle. So the kids are welcome to come to her to release, but mom's not going to necessarily take the kid's side and mom's not going to necessarily be the therapist in the family. Mom mm-hmm. is going to refer the kids to therapists um, or coaches or someone mentors. So the kids have another safe place to go to that's unbiased. Yeah. Right. Um, that gives mom a little breathing room. Um, and then dad and mom can pay for that out of her own pocket or something. If dad's, you know, stonewalling or gaslighting or resistant or something. Yeah. Um, and then mom and dad need to be the adults here and go, Hmm, this is the dynamic in our family. Um, kids feel scared in your house or with you and they come to me. Is this really what we want? And I, I actually can't endorse you yelling and raising your voice. So I don't have your back there and I won't have your back ever. When you treat our kids that way, I'm not going to do that. And I won't go along with it. I'm not, I don't, no way. Like, so the mom has to actually stand up for herself and her values and say, mm-hmm. no, not, like not in my house, like this is not okay with me. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is what I feel every day when I see that I feel and, and be vulnerable and say, I feel terrified. I feel mm-hmm. scared. I feel deeply alone. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and be honest. And, and, a, and a lot of dads in this case, if they're a good man, they don't want that impact on their wife. That mm-hmm. feels bad to them. And that motivates them to go shit. Okay. Wow. You feel scared and you feel alone of me whoa, okay, maybe I need to change my behavior. Like a good man is going to say, shit, mm-hmm. I've got, I've got, that's not cool, right? It's not fair. Mm-mm. 
-hmm. And then, um, and then finally, I just picked up on something in that couple you described, which is it's possible this woman is over-functioning. And this is now we get to talk about codependency or what I call codependent-ish behaviors, where if you find yourself doing all the work, the emotional labor, the home labor, Mm-hmm. trying to work on the relationship, that's codependent-ish behaviors where you're enabling, by doing all of that, you're actually mm-hmm. enabling this man to stay stuck right where he is. And so rather than a lot of moms think, I've got to change the man to change the d- dynamic. No, you change yourself and you stop doing your codependent-ish behaviors because you're yeah. the only thing you have control over. Right. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's, that is so also true and so huge. And I, and I, I really like that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, thank you for that answer. I can't sure. even, I can't even recap it. Uh, what you said is just so brilliant. I love it. Uh, and I, and I know that, uh, they will li- be listening. So, yeah, and it's uh, confronting, right? I'm, I'm confronting the mom here. I'm saying, look, I'm not going to take your side and throw the dude under the bus. Like you've got to get smarter and start studying relationships like for a living until you figure this out. You got to like go all in on this is my problem. I created it because I married this guy. Here we are. We're a family. What am I going to do about it? And that's why they're listening to your podcast, right? They're trying. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, go all in on that. Make make relationship education, parenting education, your highest value. And mm-hmm. you will find your way. Like, And it's going to be a, a way that leads toward empowerment, not more victimhood and disempowerment and pointing the finger at other people. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny that you said you say what you're saying because one of the last conversations we had is, you know, well, we, we probably not we, her and I, but at some point need to look at, you know, why you chose him to begin with, right? Because yeah, yeah. this is not that much different than what you thought you were getting into, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Um, and why is that okay? Why has it been okay up to? Yeah, this and why point? do you keep making it okay by doing everything all the time? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's tough though. I mean, life is messy. Life is tough. People are. I'm with messy, you. Right. It's yeah. so messy. And conflict is messy. This is all messy. And again, yeah. the mess isn't the problem. The problem is how we address the mess, avoid the mess, walk away from the mess, pretend the mess doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It's not, I, my book is all about turn toward the mess. Yeah. That's where the juice is. This is your life. Like turn toward the mess and let's learn how to work through yeah. this. Yeah, because we're, we are not taught that. I know oh. my parents didn't know how to deal with, to, to do that. So how would I know how to do that, right? I'm, yeah. I'm so with you. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know how. I, I was a failure for a decade of in relationships, just blowing out from relationship to relationship because I didn't know how. Yeah. 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 100%. Now, what about our kids? You know, when we have kids, we are star-eyed and so excited about this little yeah. human that we're going to raise. Of course, we have no experience on how to do it. We uh, don't understand <laughs> basic, you know, development, brain uh, growth, things like yeah. that, that we really should know, yeah. uh, which is what my job is, is to help you understand that and their behavior and not, you know, get so freaked out and worried and, you know, stressed about it. And that's sort of thing. But, you know, sometimes we think we're going to have mini me's and what if we have kids that trigger us on a, on a regular basis that maybe we I'm whispering it, but we don't like, um, you know, like it's the opposite. Like I'm, you know, not me, but if I were to be like an extrovert and my child is an introvert, like how do I come to terms with that? So how do we work with that in that kind of relationship? I mean, that's an intimate relationship, right? So how, how do you figure that out? (laughs) Okay. This is a, this is a fun one. Um, I love this question. Okay, good. Because, um, it's true that, you know, we have kids and they're just these magical little beings. And then mm-hmm. sometimes it, depending on how much work we've done as a parent on ourselves, 
we can start playing out our unlived life through our kids. Yes. You know, and that's tragic, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, and we, we end up projecting our values onto our kids because, um, it's life is a little easier when they conform, right? <laughs> they, they do it our way or they do life like us, or we have similar values. Life is a little easier when they're very different from us and we start to dislike them. Um, we're going to want to, we get triggered by them. We want to push them away. So I take, let me say a couple things here. So I take the view that my kids represent my disowned parts. I have disowned parts that I haven't loved in my life. So whenever my kids are triggering me about something that I don't like in them, it's usually a reflection of something I don't like about myself. Hmm. Let's say um, one of my kids is really needy and clingy. I'm judging them as needy and clingy and God, they can't let go and they can't be independent and go do something without me type of thing. And I get really irritated by that. Well, the view is I'm needy and clingy and it's disowned which is why I'm pushing them away because I hate that part of myself. So if they represent it, I'm going to push them away. Mm -hmm. But the beauty of children is they're going to keep coming at you until you love that part of yourself. Yeah. So I take that kind of more spiritual developmental view there. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing is quick story. A friend of mine had this exact dynamic with his teenage daughter and he was just like, dude, what the hell do I do? She, she doesn't like me. And so all of his stuff about being rejected by his daughter was coming up too, right? So he, he had an ad layer. He didn't like his daughter. And he, he was like, dude, honestly, I don't like my daughter. She's 14 and she's acting out and she's on Snapchat and she, she has completely different values than him. She like watches like violent movies and he's into like peace and love and stuff like that. And um, he's like, you know, what the hell, what do I do here? And I'm like, well, why, where's the suffering starting? Like, why is this such a problem? Well, we try to take her to all these cool events and things that we're really into as a family and she hates it all. Mm. And I just started to help him see, I'm like, well, what are her values? What does she like uh -huh. to do? Well, she's really into violent movies. She's into fashion. All she wants to do is like read fashion magazines and look at girls' dresses and like, that's what she's into. Um, and I'm like, okay, we'll try just for a day supporting her values. And instead mm. of connecting around your values, why don't you connect around her values and see what happens? And his relationship since then has been completely changed because he's getting pedicures now with his daughter. He took her to the city and went to a fashion show, oh, took her around it. the neighborhoods where all the graffiti was. She loves graffiti. And then they, she, her favorite food is sushi. So the only time they eat, the only food they eat together is what she wants because it's her values, not his. Because she's not old enough to like step up and be like him and, well, let's do your values, dad. She doesn't, she's 14, right? Yeah. So dad can't expect her to live according to his values. So he, now their, their relationship is completely changing because he's willing to go inside of her values and connect from that place. Wow. That is like awesome. Cool, right? Yeah, that is yeah. so cool. And like, what a concept, right? But we are so stubborn, right? Because yeah. we come from this place where you do what I say or else. Yeah. Right? And how dare you not like what the family is doing and all that stuff. Totally. But how often do we ask our kids? You know, we complain that our kids uh, cry or are upset when we take them somewhere. Well, did we ever ask them if they wanted it? And then we call them ungrateful. We, right. you know, call them names. <laughs> we judge them, all this stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and I just need to say that one more time. What you said is we play out our unlived life on our kids. Yeah. Like that's huge. And, 
and also, you know, the the hurt that we we got as a child, the messages we got right from from our parents too. You know, when I was talking about my dad before, um, one of the things that I didn't realize at the time, but have now come to realize is that um, my dad didn't, you know, no fault of his own. He had like ADHD, right? ADD really, but never diagnosed, right? Okay. Until he was much older. Yeah. And uh, that meant he would never listen to me, right? It was like, oh, 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 I got Uh his attention. I got his attention and then it's gone. And so that always made me feel like you weren't listening to me. Like what I said didn't matter because I'm going to tell myself a story about it too, right? I I had no way of knowing. So we do, yeah. Yeah. And- when my kids wouldn't listen to me, I would rage because <laughs> how dare you not hear me? Cause I'm the boss. Now I'm uh-huh. the boss. You yeah. better listen to me. Exactly. And they yeah. still didn't. So I had to change me. I had to change me, but Oh my god, Good for you. So mad. Uh, and dude, I'm, I'm t- yeah, yeah exactly. My, my dad, I was his little athlete. Right. And I was, I became very good at sports but mostly because I wanted dad's love, right? Yeah. Not because I liked sports. Right. And so when I could finally quit sports in high school, I was relieved because I was slowly starting to get out from under dad's sort of domain, which is you're a sports kid, you got to win at all costs. Yeah. And I'm a sensitive, emotional kid that's very social and relational. I don't care about winning, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not really that competitive unless I'm in my values. And I was in his values. So as long as I'm living by my dad's values, I'm going to lose in life and I'm going to be unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. So this is, this is what parents have to see is if you ask your kid to live according to your values, they're going to lose and they're mm-hmm. going to be unhappy and unfulfilled. And then you're going to wonder why. You know, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who have, you know, even careers that they never wanted because they just wanted to please their parents. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that is tragic. Totally tragic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I mean, I hate to say it again, but with my dad, my sister and I, all we did was track and field because my dad was a track and field star when he was, um, when he was growing up and he always wanted to play the guitar. Guess what we played? We played the guitar. That's it. Isn't that yeah. funny? I wanted to be a gymnast. I wanted to play <laughs> hockey. I wanted to, wow. um, you know, right. I, there were so many things I wanted to do. Nobody ever noticed. And I never got the opportunity. And so that has led to some resentment as I'm older. Sure. Um, but, you know, look, I've, I've gotten over that stuff, but it is, it is something that we, you know, that we go yeah. through. So, yeah. 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 Now I want to talk to you about something that just isn't, fun and nobody really likes this, but let's talk about relationships with our parents while we're adults and we have our own kids or whatever. And also in-laws, what do you do when, let's just talk about in-laws. What do you do when you struggle with those kinds of relationships, right? Because those are really important people. They're still pretty high stakes, would you say? Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, Yeah. And you know, and, and if they're, if we're at odds, maybe they don't like the way we're parenting or they don't agree with who we chose to be our partner. You Mm -hmm. know, how how do you deal with those kinds of conflicts? Well, it depends on, um, how much you want to grow because there's a workshop opportunity here, right? Like any relationship challenge, they're full of opportunities, um, like any conflict. So if we back the conversation up back to the values conversation, mm. your in-laws and your parents are going to have different values than you. And they're, thus, they're going to have different parenting advice, different preferences, and they're going to behave in ways that 
you know, challenge your values. So if we have that view, we can remember, oh, right, it's okay. They're different from me. They just live their life according to their values. And it actually is not personal. It's not personal here. Right? Okay. Mm-hmm. That takes the personal edge off. Even if they judge our parenting or judge how we school our kids, homeschool our kids, unschool our kids, send them to private schools, whatever, whatever the judgment is. Yeah. Like, yeah, you're speaking from your values. This isn't a personal attack on me. Mm, even if so it feels I, personal? Even if it feels personal. That, mm-hmm. that, I think that's just an important framework. Um, and then within that, we can, um, one of my favorite practices uh, with parents, et cetera, is to, it's a dojo to be myself. Can I actually have my own back and be myself here? And if I'm partnered, can I have my partner's back and can we be a united front when it comes to the drama in my family with my parents, your parents, Mm -hmm. in-laws, whoever? Can we be a united front when we go home for the holidays or run a family trip? Um, Do we have each other's back? So it's also this litmus test of how strong is my partnership? Do I, is my partner gonna actually side with my mom and they're gonna throw me under the bus? Mm. Um, like what, what, what's the dynamic here, right? And the ideal dynamic you want is to be aligned and, um, have each other's backs, right? As partners, but regardless, whether you're single or partnered, um, it's an opportunity to set boundaries with your parents. It's an opportunity to stand up for yourself. It's Mm. an opportunity to, um, let them know who you are now that you're not 15 anymore. They don't actually get to call the shots and tell you what to do anymore. You're an adult Mm -hmm. now. Like Mm -hmm. these are all opportunities and a lot of people shrink away from these opportunities and continue to let the parents parent them, even at age 40, Uh an 80 year old parent parenting a 40 year old and and talking to them like they're 15. Like, do you, is that really the dynamic you want? So this is all about differentiation, which is just a psychological term that means, means you haven't yet differentiated from your parents and that's your work. Mm -hmm. And I think Mm -hmm. that's exciting work. It's difficult work. But it's when the dynamic flips and you're now the parent parenting them, that's a great place to be in because it means you've surpassed your parents developmentally. It doesn't mean you're better than them, okay? I'm not talking Mm -hmm. about better or worse. It just means you're more psychologically and relationally and emotionally developed than they are. And that means you are in charge of the relational space. Stop putting them in charge of the relational space when you're the one working on yourself. Mm. That makes no sense, right? have the person that's uneducated, illiterate when it comes to emotions and relationships leading the kind of vibe in the house, like, no. And then I'd say a final thing, which is if it's their house, it is kind of their rules. And so I want to, I want to demonstrate respect that this is how they do things. And I might not ask them to be different. Now I did ask my parents to be different once around their house. And I just said, look, now that I have little ones, and they have a TV on usually in every room in the house. And, I, and we don't watch TV. I don't have a TV in my house. Different values, right? Yeah. So I said to them, would, you, would it be okay if I asked you to not have the TVs on in the house when my kids are in the house? Because we don't watch TV. Is that okay? And my parents begrudgingly said yes. And that was like, I don't know, eight years ago. And since that time, they've respected that. And they, they have their TV room now. When I come home for the holidays or stay with them or whatever, that's where the TV is always on and it's okay. Mm. And we have an agreement now. Like, and that was, they were so amazing to respect my request. And had they not, I still would have been fine. I would have just spent less time with them. Yeah. Been like, no, we'll spend a day here, but we're not, we're not going to be here all day with your, your fucking TVs on all day. No. <laughs> right. 
Totally. Uh, yes, totally. And, and I think having, like you said, having the courage to speak your truth and say, look, right. My, my mother-in-law uh, would always have candles burning at low levels when my kids were little. I'm like, stop it. That's fire. <laughs> right. Like that's hot. Can we Hazard. candles? Yeah. Unsafe. Yeah. Yeah. Not safe. Please stop. I know you love the ambiance, but it doesn't <laughs> work. Right. Um, so, okay. So what what you said i think bears repeating right that it's not personal and i think most now tell me what you think about this my theory is that nothing is actually ever personal because you're you know somebody is is sort of in their own bubbles a bubble of their feelings and needs and and they're coming from their place of hurt past hurts uh, the story that they're telling themselves the lens through which they see the world and it's never really about you. You just triggered something in them that mm-hmm. brought it back up, like, you know, the childhood stuff or whatever. So tell me what you think about that. Well, I think it's a good frame to operate from in life. And I, I like any sort of, I don't know, um, potentially firm position like that uh, or opinion or belief, I might just slow down to just be like, I don't know, is that true in my own experience that it's not personal mm. ever, you know, nothing's ever personal. I don't know, it sure feels that way, right? Uh, in my marriage, when my wife does something to hurt my feelings, whether it's personal or not, it sure feels personal, right? right. Um, and if I just take the view that it's not personal, I, I could bypass, I see people bypass their developmental work here. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's not personal, you know? I'm just not gonna let it bother me, it's not personal. When it's like, no, there's, there's a, ooh, you got me, you kind of stuck the knife right in that spot and you turned it. Mm. Oh, that hurts so much. And I wonder why it hurts so much for me. Oh, wow. That's because I grew up in a family where this happened. And and now I have this opportunity to like turn toward that pain that feels so personal and work on it, develop through it versus the person who just says, Hey, it's not personal. And that hurt, that kind of sucks, but it's not personal. Like, mm. see what I'm saying? There's a, there's a potential mm. bypass to try to not feel yeah. something that hurts or to right. pretend it doesn't bother us or something. Yeah. So that's really interesting that you said that too, because I did have a situation where I was like, no, I know that the way this person is acting isn't personal and it's driving me crazy. And I don't (laughs) feel like I can continue to be in relationship with this person because unless I just share what's going on with me, I don't think I can, yeah, I I can't move forward. So I did have to have a conversation. And I think because conflict is so hard for people, um, you know, I I love this person so much. This is, you know, this, this woman who I'm friends with, she is, she is a beautiful human being. Um, And the way that they go about doing life is so different than me that Mm -hmm. um, even though we have a close friendship, I just, some things rub me the wrong way and whatever. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we did, we did have a conversation about it, you know, ended with some tears and some hugs and that sort of thing too. But I think there's also a little bit of healing that has to happen after as well. Now that she's heard my side, I've heard her side, you know, um, and we haven't gotten back into the closeness and the reconnection quite yet. Mm -hmm. Um, so does that take time normally? Is that, you know, yeah, again, it, it sort of depends on, in other words, you guys aren't quite at zero, right? In, in a place where you feel really safe with each other and connected. 
yeah, I feel good. And then I'm kind of noticing, yeah, maybe it's not just a so little like a one. I, one in or fact, two. I'm just going to send a text and say, Hey, you know, are we okay? Do you like, I invite yeah. you to come talk to me. Do you want to, is there something you want to talk to me about now? Because mm-hmm. I brought stuff up in you. Like I'm open to doing that for sure. You know, yeah. but I haven't done it yet because I'm chicken. Yeah. <laughs> you're scared. It's okay. Well, you've had, you've had experiences with this person that, that, you know, don't have you not fully trust yet that it's going to go completely well each time, you know, and Mm. I I think in our inner circle friendships, I think we want to advocate for zero is the baseline. Our baseline is always zero and we're welcome to give each other feedback, speak up, tell the truth. We're going to get in conflict. No problem. We have the tools to get through it. So we'll always be okay. That's what we want our inner circle friendships to be. Now we all have outer circle friendships or concentric circles. It goes out and out and, and we all have to decide is it worth it to bring it up with this person? Where are they in my friend circle? How far out do they go? How close is this? How high stakes is this? Am I that invested? And we get to say, I don't want to deal with it with this person. We get to say it. Okay. Absolutely. We get to say, you know what? That person's like three tiers out. You know, it's not worth it. I know them. I know their values. They're not going to change. It's not going to go anywhere. Um, I'm just not going to waste my time. It's not a good use of my time because it could take too long. It could get too crunchy. Um, they're not going to understand because they're not actually working on themselves in a personal growth kind of way. Mm. You know, no, no, thanks. We get to decide that. Yeah. Okay. And we have to watch out. Sometimes we, we might project that onto someone who actually we're not giving them a chance. Right. Right. Sometimes we do need to say something to a friend and it's the thing that wakes them up. And then they're like, thank you. That was so amazing. I appreciate you Mm -hmm. calling me out there. No one else has ever said that to me. It hurt, but man, I think it's improving my life. So thanks for like loving me and having the courage mm-hmm. to say that to me. You know, sometimes we get that response. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's so that's so true. Yeah, you know, I, I I am one of those people where it's like, you know what, I just I just can't. So it's like I'm gone. You know, yeah, like yeah. yeah. Uh, and I've had experiences like that where I just like, nope, I just can't do it. Can't do it. Yeah. Like story, no, you I'm know, you. like it's not for lack of love. I just can't, I don't have space, I don't have space for it. You know, yeah. I've got family, kids, I've got a business, I've got all that stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this has been really good. Thank you. I feel like I kind of had a therapy session and I didn't mean for that to be at all. It's not about me. It's not about me, but I, I hope that, you know, the, the people who are listening can really take on, you know, and really understand what it is that you're saying and that conflict is normal. And like, let's not shy away from it because it's an opportunity for growth and connection and reconnection. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to me, the most successful relationships on the planet are people who have the willingness and ability to work through conflict. That is the single biggest determining factor of relationship success long-term. I love it. Well, thank you for sharing this with me and with my audience. This has just been so good. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, of course. You're so welcome. It was really fun to jam with you. And before we go, just, just to be clear where everybody can find you, this is of course, always in the show notes, your website is relationshipschool.com. You are Jay Gaddis, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. You are, uh, Jason Gaddis, right? Yep. Jason with a Y J A Y S O N. Yep. J A Y S O N. Perfect. And then, yeah, you're, you know, I think we just look for you and relationship school and, uh, and they'll find you, but all of your details are in the show notes please reach out to Jason. Uh, I've watched your videos on Instagram and they're really good. And then you see your wife and your kids in there as well. And so um, all really great advice. So again, thank you for being here. 
Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and care.